Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gurman. We are here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman, as well as our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And joining us as always is Erica, working the dials. Uh, Later in the show, we will be talking to Craig Boa, who is a hairdresser from Edmonton who has been inside the NHL bubble taking care of all the NHL guys. We will talk about what that experience has been like, uh, how he got there, and all sorts of stuff. Um, But that is later in the show. But before we get to anything... I want to say a big congratulations to Shane Cunningham, our pop culture aficionado, and his wonderful wife, Alex, on their award nomination for best podcast for this family tree. Hey. Congrats, man. Yeah, man. Hey. Podcast of the year, man. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it's mom pod of the year. It's weird because this is called Mike on Much Mom, but it's (laughs) (laughs) very confusing for for like motherhood podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We can't even get nominated in our own namesake category. <laughs> uh, that's really exciting, though. That's awesome, man. Congrats. But guess what, Mike? And you're the only person who will even know who this is. But that's really yeah, exci- getting me excited. Shannon Sossman's coming on the pod. Whoa. Oh, my yeah. God. Holy shit. Yo, I set know. it up for our listeners so they can be excited for you. I'm so excited for you. I'm actually nervous for you. Do you think you'll be able to handle it? I, I think <laughs> so. Like, I'm getting... I'm doing so many of these. I'm getting like a pretty acclimated to just talking to whoever, but uh, that one will test my nerves because Shannon Sossman is the person I've had the biggest crush on since I was 15 years old, probably maybe 16 years old. Who but is yeah, she? so Do I have to she's her? from Rules of Attraction. She's she's in a Knight's Tale. She's probably one of the most attractive people in the world. <laughs> Shit. Like, is this how you're gonna do your intro for the um, S O S? S A M O N. Sorry, S-A-C-A? she was she was in a cool band called War Paint. Shannon Sossman. She's in a Knight's Tale. She's the princess. She worked mm-hmm. with Heath Ledger. Forty days, forty nights. She's the one that Josh Hartnett is trying to uh, sleep with. <laughs> okay, uh, let me see here. Oh, Sossaman. There we go. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, Max wants to come on the pod. And, do, you need, do you need a co-interview or a producer for this one? <laughs> I've been known to do that. Yes. Shannon Sossman. She spells it with a Y. Uh, Y-N. S-H-A-N-N-Y-N. <laughs> I like the idea that all of our listeners right now are also on their phones looking up <laughs> Shannon Sossman. Okay. My question, though, Shane, is how jealous is Alex going to get? Because Alex famously has a jealous streak. And if this She's is the woman of jealous. your dreams, like, how is this going to go? Oh, she's she's pretty jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's crazy. Like, she's almost like mad that we got the interview. <laughs> this brings well, up actually a really good question. Um, so, like, because I know how much you, uh, <laughs> how strongly you felt about Shannon Sossman. And we've all had, like, these crushes that we've had since we were 13 or whatever. I'm wondering what all of our sort of, like it would shake you to like interview somebody that basically you've pined over since you were a teenager. It's such an interesting dynamic. It, does anyone come immediately to mind for you two, Erica mm. or Max? Yeah, definitely. Um, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Uh, Kelly Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, that's an obvious one, but she'd be up there. Um, ooh, Brandy maybe? I was really into Brandy when I was in grade six. That's I, I like Monica. That's so oh, funny. Interesting. <laughs> it would work out then for Tyra you, Banks. Yeah, the four of you. Yeah. Tyra Banks. No, I like yeah. her. Oh, yeah. She'd be scary. Yeah. Intimidating. You know. you know, I asked her, I, I think I told this on the pod, but uh, she passed me at the. I was with you. <laughs> we, I was yeah, with you. Go, Mike. I, you can probably oh, tell it was like hilariously sad. <laughs> it was like two years ago, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were standing there in the hall. We're like, we were doing something for the pod and we're kind of like hanging out. And she's like coming down the hallway and Max gets like really excited. He's like, oh man, I'm going to go for it. And he's kind of got the phone out and he's like, Tyra Banks passed. She's got like a bunch of people around. He's like, Tyra, like, like puts the phone. He's like, photo. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, can't, sorry. And just, she didn't break her stride (laughs) at all. She didn't stop for a second. I respect that And then we, we couldn't do you did, and we couldn't do anything but laugh. We both just exploded laughing. Like, yeah. you, you thought it was hilarious. So it was like, <laughs> the same thing happened to me um, with Michael Wilbon, who I love, who's actually name dropped in an RKL song. Michael Wilbon, famous Washington Post sports writer. He's on TV all the time doing basketball games. And I was down in the tunnel, and this was during last year's playoff run, and Wilbon's there outside of the Raptors locker room. And I'm like, hey, Wilbon, make uh, a little a little photo. And he just looks at me. He's like, not right now. And then he walks away. 
<laughs> he was working. He was working. Yeah. He was working. That's mm-hmm. fair. He was getting a scoop. Mm-hmm. A scoop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Erica, who would be your person? Probably Nick Jonas mm. or Joe Jonas. Mm. Nick or Joe, yeah. Or what? Justin Bieber. <coughs> Big old crush on Justin Bieber. Yeah. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Bieber would be really good. Yeah. What about you, mm-hmm. Mike? I, 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 I'm, I'm again, it just feels like last week when we were talking about this, I'm racking my brain. There are certainly people that I've like had crushes on. And I know that we've all, Shane, we've talked about this a lot where you have the dream where you'll fall in love with a celebrity. And so mm-hmm. the dream can last as many as like a, a 10 years, let's say, or three months, you know, because time is funny in dreams and you wake up and you have this sort of like profound sense of loss because you felt, I remember I, I fell in love with like, um, <laughs> Jenny Garth from, um, Nano two and She played uh, Kelly, uh, and I woke up and then I wasn't with her anymore. And I remember feeling like this profound sense of sadness because I was like, "Oh, the love of my life." And again, I'm like, I don't know, like fucking sixteen or something. Uh, but I wouldn't like be shook to interview. Her. I'm trying to think if there's like, like I guess like I've had I've had a big crush on Natalie Portman at times mm. in my life. Yeah, that's but a good I, one. I knew that. I feel like I knew that you loved Natalie Portman. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, you know, I yeah. mean, you know, I'm, that's not an original crush by any means. But I don't <laughs> know if like interviewing her would be like weird for me. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Because, yeah, anyway, so I don't have like a definitive answer. Not like Shane with, with Shannon Sussman because, yeah, you've been talking about this one for like two decades, brother. Well, yeah, we, I was just talking about it. We did the pedestal like pre-covid times and i was i was still going on and on about it so yeah it's pretty cool yeah all right let's get to topics because we got a lot going on we got to talk to to craig later on about uh, cutting hair in the nhl bubble who's a friend of max uh so let's just get to topics and then we can keep it moving um huge 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 uh story with numerous almost countless uh implications um to America, uh, to the politics of America, to people's personal lives. And that is uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away um, recently. Uh, she's succumbed to cancer, um, which obviously, if you follow these things at all, opens up a seat on the Supreme Court. Uh, Trump, who is the president currently, will most likely fill this before there's an election in November. There's a whole sort of mechanism here by which this is like sort of um, become very controversial. And that is when uh, Obama was in the last year of his presidency. Um, there was a there was a, a seat open on the Supreme Court and he wasn't allowed to fill it. Basically, the Republicans stonewalled him from filling that saying in an election year, uh, we should allow the next president to fill the seat. So they basically stonewalled it until they got the next president. Uh, we are now in a very similar situation. Uh, and now all of those people, Mitch McConnell, uh, Lindsey Graham, these Republicans that felt that way, felt very strongly about that four or five years ago, now are saying, no, 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 now's the time to move. We should, Trump should be allowed to uh, choose a Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement. Um, so that's where it's at. It's obviously become a huge story in uh, American politics. Uh, yeah. So I guess ultimately what we're going to talk about is what responsibility uh, do we have to listen to the sort of dying wishes of public officials? Because very, uh, you know, it's been reported that Ruth had said um, that her sort of dying wish was um, that they do not replace her until after the election. Basically, let the next president. And again, if Trump wins again, then he can do it. You know, he might very well win in a couple months, and then he can make the choice. Then she said, just let the election go. Uh, clearly, they're not going to do that. Uh, and then we'll also sort of talk about the idea of sort of <laughs> the ethics of, um, you know, uh, exactly what uh, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham did, which is basically they played by one set of rules five years ago, and now they've completely changed those rules because it benefits them. So first, I don't know, Maxi, what, what were your thoughts when you said um, the idea of sort of respecting the dying wishes of a public official on, you know, on their way out? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all this is really good uh, fodder because, you know, we all have our blinders on to a degree, depending on what side you're rooting for. And... And I, in these situations, I always try my best to put the shoe on the other foot and go, okay, is there some instance where the left overstepped in some way? Um, but to your point, Mike, you know, you you texted about this, and I and I thought you, you were you were kind of making the point that Republicans sort of have a win at all cost attitude, um, and and we'll break the rules because as long as we win and get our way, that's the point of politics. This is just gamesmanship. Um, but but I'd say that there, the 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 right would probably say there's been many instances of Democrats or liberals not exactly playing by the rules either. So that's moving the goalposts themselves. Yeah, moving the goalposts themselves. But um, I guess when I was uh, thinking about like what responsibility do we have to listen to the dying wishes? It's it's a good question because 
of course, when I saw that statement come out, I go, of course we have to listen to her and any decent person should listen to her. But then I started thinking, trying to be a little bit more objective. And if it was a, a conservative judge that said, okay, don't replace me until, and then had some demand before he passed away or she passed away, uh, I'd, I'd kind of probably roll my eyes a little bit. So I'm, I'm really trying to, uh, get some sort of historic historical perspective when it comes to like evaluating this particular situation. But the part that feels undeniably egregious is that Lindsey Graham, who's one of like the, the head Republicans in the Senate, he's from South Carolina. He said, he's like, you can quote me on this. Uh, this is back in 2016. If the same situation comes up in 2020, we shouldn't vote on it until there's a new president. And, and and now he's breaking that. And McConnell basically said the same thing too. So that um that all makes me very disheartened uh, about you know the current state of affairs in America. There's not one sort of hopeful note that seems to be happening, with the exception of maybe Susan Collins, who's the Republican from Massachusetts, who said that, you know, we should wait, uh, wait to vote on it. But um, Mike, yeah, do you want to speak to that, Mike? Because I, I think you, I've heard you talk about that a lot in the past as, as to how the goalposts move uh, with Republicans. And, and, and there was actually a great Onion headline today, which made me think of you. Uh, I'll pull it up here. Um, Democrats take off gloves, fold them neatly, put them in a nice little box. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Mike, what do you think? Well, the thing that the thing that interests me just sort of in general is the idea of how we frame the way that we go about things. So something like, say, like integrity or your word or like, you know, in the moment when, you know, five years ago when they were like, we can't let Obama put another sort of, say, liberal leaning judge uh, in the Supreme Court. They they made like a very sort of strong stand where they said, no, it should be the next president that is allowed to uh, pick the, the sort of seat because Obama's on his way out. In a vacuum or sort of in its self-contained, you go, yeah, that actually kind of makes sense in some ways. Do you know what I mean? Um, I guess I could believe that if they were doing that argument in good faith. I guess the thing is, it's like, so if you acquiesce to that and you go, okay, you know what? We'll do that. What you would hope is that when you get to a similar situation four years later, um, they then sort of go, yeah, these are the rules. Let's kind of abide them. The thing is, it's like if you're not, if you're not concerned with the perception of sort of like breaking your word or whatever integrity is, it's like you can really kind of get away with anything. And so what we've seen in this like last little bit is like this sort of lack of accountability sort of like on all levels, meaning like, you know, if if you're willing to sort of, you know what I mean? forego the idea of being embarrassed or having shame about lying to get what you want because the ends justify the means well then you'll kind of get anything you want if there is no sort of um, repercussions that's what it seems like right now and i'm so i'm fascinated by the idea of like how you even fight that like how do you like if the rules of the game are constantly sort of changing it's like i guess you just have to adapt and sort of like move forward to to push your agenda. And by the way, we've talked about this before with politics, right and left. It's like, there's, you know, there's just as many people that feel very strongly about living in a society that Trump represents as people that feel like living in a society that the left represents. And ultimately it's like a majority rule thing. It's like, do enough people feel this way? Let's vote these people in. So it's like, it's like, I get it that that side's going to fight for theirs. And then the other side's going to fight for theirs. But I just like if there's not an established set of rules, it just it's just like it's like there's like a football game being played and it's like one side is playing by one set of rules, the other side's playing by one set of rules. How can you even have a game? Yeah. That's the thing I find confusing. I'm also concerned um maybe just the personalities that exist in the states when it comes to politics that you don't see as much in other places. But it's just like it's just incredible how a few sociopaths can really change the course of history. Do you know, like, obviously Trump uh, and his, like, uh, no sort of respect for any traditions or sense of decorum uh, or just sense of, as you say, the rules of, of, of the game of, of politics. Um, you know, he's really turned things upside down. Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham. And I wonder if those guys don't exist, are we living in a different world, right? And and when those guys go away, does the world go back to a more saner place? Because, you know, it's like we were in Toronto, we were living under Rob Ford, and that was kind of chaos. And obviously, it's a different situation there. But like, you know, Rob Ford was voted out, and now we have John Tory, and things have sort of gone back to normal to a degree. So I, I always wonder, I'm like, you know, is the way this is going to turn around is if... Uh, 
people with sociopathic tendencies or no sense of fairness uh, and, and playing by the rules if they get voted out and things can kind of get back to a general sense of decency for the next term. I want to do, do you think there's something to that? Or do you think it's, it, things are too far along in America that, you know, all the gloves are off forever and it'll be when it all costs. I, I think it depends on like the playbook. Like it's like anything like in sports leagues, you see it's like a copycat league. Like, so like if Trump has sort of established this new smash mouth way of just sort of getting things done and, you know, things be damned, will sort of the people that come after just go like, eh, like, we'll just kind of like, we'll keep doing this until it doesn't work. And we're going to see if checks and balances work. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to throw to Shaney. Shaney, it looked like, I, did you have any thoughts on anything? It looked like you wanted to jump in and, and, and say something. Oh, it just seems like, uh, isn't people lying about what they say they're going to do in politics the most common thing? Like, is this that weird of a thing? <laughs> this no, is a seriously, great point. Isn't that like a normal thing to do? Like on, on left well, and right? See, well, yeah, this thing, we all accepted sort of a version, like a, this sort of like, um, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but the idea that... Uh, the fantasy of what politics is, meaning like, well, you know, this politician is like, they're a good one. They really care, but they're also backroom dealing. They're doing all of the tre- the sneaky shit that people on the other side are doing. It's just they 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 dress it up better. Mm-hmm. It's more presentable. It's got a little bit more decorum. Um, so to Shane's, you know, to what I think you're saying, Shane, is it's like, it's all the same shit. All politicians are the same. It's just one is sort of dressed in a way that's more palatable than sort of this smash mouth way that Trump and the right are now sort of getting through their agenda. Yeah. And to Max's point, like if Ruth was a huge piece of shit and then uh, promised on her, wanted on her deathbed to uh, let the next president vote. And then Obama said, nope, I'm doing it now. We'd all be like celebrating like Obama breaking that death wish is amazing because she was terrible. Well, this is the other major thing is the idea that I, I said in sort of the message to the pod group is it's like I'm also fascinated by the idea that like we seem to as a society celebrate like um rule bra- like people that bend the rules and sort of like march to the beat of their own drum as like trailblazers and people that like should be celebrated because it's like no you, they broke the mold they wouldn't conform and that's why they got what they wanted and we celebrate it in some people but then in other people if we 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 find it like abhorrent we find it like this sort of like really distasteful trait and it's like what how do you decide when it's like acceptable in one person and sort of like and then not another. And, and I, I, someone might say, well, it's just human decency and you know it when you see it. Um, but I, I'm just like, you know, like you said, Shane, it's like to, to a large portion of people on the right, you know, they find certain conservatives and like sort of their stick to itness, whether it's like, you know, pro-life or whatever it is, they find that to be um, valiant and sort of worth breaking the rules and smashing through and all of that sort of mm-hmm. thing that we celebrate people for sort of breaking the mold uh, when but, it sort of fits our, our worldview. But this isn't even a rule, right? It's just a, a death wish, right? Or a deathbed wish. Like, it's not like a hard and fast rule just because she said it on her deathbed. It's a dying request. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but you have to keep those reasonable, I think. Like, you can't <laughs> just say like, oh, I don't want uh, abortion to be legal and then you die or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? You can't make it a law. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i mean like just because she said it it's like they're breaking her death wish it's like she was 87 like i'm not saying she deserved to die but you know you don't have to obey every death wish from every person and act like it's the law and he trump is breaking some huge sacred thing yeah i'd say the argument that we have to obey her dying wishes probably doesn't hold up. But I'd say, I'd say the argument that does hold up is that the Republicans did this very thing four years ago and now they're contradicting themselves. And that that's the Well, that's just politics part. though. You, you're no, 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 but, but the reason why I do the thing you don't want to do. Is that, like, sure, I agree. Politicians lie all the time. But to Mike's point, there's like a general sense of like rules uh, that they should be playing with. And mm-hmm. the Republicans But they only in this follow case, the rules really when they're in their favor. It's stepped over the line in a major way. So what do you say? They only follow the rules when they're in their favor. So it's like, oh, they followed the rules here. No, but okay. But here's the thing. It's like Trump is talking about not paying, not um, obeying the results of the election. He's basically said if he loses the election, it's because of voter fraud. And he's alluded to like not leaving the White House. This has never been suggested by any politician ever. In fact, Al Gore, for the good of the country, even though he was winning in the vote and very close in the recount in Florida back in 2000, he said, for the good of the country, so things aren't chaotic, I'm going to step aside. Peaceful transfer of power. And so Trump basically does things on a daily basis. 
basis uh, that any other president would be uh, ridiculed and probably impeached for. And mm-hmm. he just kind of skates Oh, he by. has no integrity for sure. I was also thinking about um, a situation that came up when Obama was the president with, re- regarding Ruth Bader Ginsburg in that should she retire now knowing that she's had some health issues and just to ensure that her seat is being filled by a, a progressive, a Democrat. And some 40-year-old that can do it for the next 40 years. Yeah, and you secure the court. And Obama knew this is like very important to like the sort of the future of the country is, is having people on that side of the aisle occupy the court if you care about, you know, female rights and, and protecting, you know, the disenfranchised and minorities. And um, she didn't, you know, she, she said, I think they all thought Hillary was going to win. And then if she wanted to retire in the following four years, she could do it then. Of course, history turned out much different. And I was thinking about, you know, her personality type. And she's clearly one of the most like, uh, strong-willed people that's ever existed. I, I started to watch a little bit of her movie uh, on the basis of sex, uh, her, her story, and just you know, she was the only woman, or she's one of few females in the Harvard Law School. And she was raising a child on her own as her husband was sick. Like her story is absolutely incredible, and no one is going to tell her what to do because she's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like, do you she's know? She's an how- icon. She's an icon, and. And she probably felt that way before she was an icon too. Like I'm outworking you. I know probably what's best and get out of my way. But it is interesting to see the thing that makes somebody great. And I've said this many times before is also the, you know, the thing that makes them have blind spots and or the things that makes them less than desirable. And I was thinking about other greats like Michael Jordan, who probably didn't need to come back and play for the Washington Wizards, but he thought he could do it. And I'm fucking Michael Jordan and I'm going to, be Michael Jordan. And then he kind of fell on it. And Willie Mays did this as a baseball player. Like he kept going and going and going. This is the uh, thing. It's like the, the hubris that got them to where they are. Yeah. Meaning like this sort of, this inherent sort of belief and this sort of like um, outlandish uh, uh, um, trust in their ability to always do it is what makes them icons. But then ultimately it can be this thing that makes you stick around too long or, or overestimate your abilities at a certain point. He yeah, was still totally. really good for the Wizards though. He was really good. <laughs> he, was, he, he was good. Yeah, he was, he was underrated. He, he was no. he was good for the Wizards. But then, but when you think about uh, you know your legacy as a public facing person, you go, eh, it was cool that he played for the Wizards and he had a couple of awesome moments. But it would have been kind of awesome if he had just retired as a bull. Or and I think there's other examples of people. It's a very who, forgotten who overstay though. their welcome. Uh, in a way that ultimately reflects badly on their overall career. No, if not badly, less than ideal. Um, and obviously, this is a very serious situation and, and her decision to stay on, which was a decent decision at the time. I think everybody thought Hillary was going to win. So it's not like I'd begrudge her. And obviously, she's a titan. She's accomplished so much uh, for that country. Um, but it but it did just get me thinking about this idea of like, who are the people... Yeah, who's hubris, as you say, Mike? Uh, kept them kept them around a little too long. And who are the who are the people that kind of bow gracefully and know when it's time to to walk away? I just think that's like an interesting thing to think about. I think it helped with Jordan's legend even more. The fact you that think he so? even came back. Oh yeah, hmm. That that's a hot take. Why? How so? I feel like that's the one thing that they always knock him on. They didn't even well, mention it in the fucking doc. Well, just because he's so competitive, it just goes to show he just want he really loved the game and wanted to do it. Like he I could guess, have left perfectly, and he still came back, and he yeah, was like, still was, and he was still scoring like twenty one points a game, and that was considered a failure for him. It's just yeah. Amazing. Well, two things. I think he left as like a, like like an icon that was like unassailable. Um, mm-hmm. And then when he came back, it was almost like an old guy that's trying to fight young kids on his lawn where it's just like, <laughs> it's like you're embarrassing yourself, but it's fine. And to, to your point about oh, the 20 points way, a game. It was way better than that. Like I watched YouTube edits of how good he was on the Wizards. It's like he was very amazing. He was he was good offensively. He couldn't guard anyone. That's why he didn't win any games. That was the problem. Is they would like there there, there were like we don't have to get into the minutia. <laughs> this is such a classic Mike on much pivot. We're trying to be smart people talking about uh, RBG, and then it just ends I'm up talking about Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'm just trying to talk about this stuff. But uh, but yeah. Uh, anyway, I mean, and again, here's why. My thing is this. So the, so if we're gonna do this Jordan R, R, RBG mm-hmm. thing, is um. <laughs> I think Jordan can come back. If Jordan wanted to play right now at 50, like that's a personal choice. If someone's willing to give him a contract, 
play, man. Like, who cares what we think or what we want your legacy to be if you're Michael Jordan? It's a, if, if I'm Michael Jordan, I'm sitting around at 40 years old and I want to hoop in the NBA and someone's going to give you a contract to do it, go for it. Who gives a shit what writers think, what pundits think? If you're RBG and then this sort of opportunity arises where you're like, maybe I should retire so Obama can fill my seat, that actually has implications beyond her own sort of personal desires. Like, like, so she wants to stay because she's like, listen, I still have a voice. I want to have an opinion uh, in matters that come up. I'm not done yet. I'm not ready to be on my way out. Mm-hmm. The, the difference is strategically her making that choice is actually going to now affect things for the next 50 years potentially because her seat's going to get replaced by some young person that's literally going to hold her seat literally for probably almost our entire lifetimes. That's the sort of like um, strategic thinking that you need to have in that situation. And so there has been criticism. And listen, nobody wants to speak ill of anyone that's passed on, especially a fucking icon like um, RBG. But I think that's where the criticism of Max, when you talk about this, the writing and these people sort of bring this thing up, that's what they're saying is they're saying like, it, it goes beyond just what Ruth wanted to do. It's not about just getting on a court and putting up 20 a game with the Wizards. It's basically, it's like, how's this going to affect women um, in 30 years from now? That that Those are the stakes of that game. And I think that's the difference, if that makes I sense. I was just trying to keep it to a debate on whether it made him more or less iconic. <laughs> like, I <laughs> no, wasn't it's true, saying it's true. like, yeah. It's true. No, it's... So wait, so, so Jordan, more iconic by coming back to the Wizards? Max? Erica? Less iconic. It made his legend grow so much bigger that he just, he couldn't let the game go. He kept trying and trying to leave the game, but he loved it so much he kept coming back. Even Didn't he wh- go to the MLB? Yeah. He, he, left, he left to play baseball, <laughs> and then he came back, and he was still the fucking best player in the league. He's all over the place. He should, yeah, he should have just ended it with the Bulls. Well, the what, doc- if he, what if he just ended it when he went to play baseball, which a lot of people thought he was crazy to come back? And then he won three more championships in a row. So you got to kind of, for your own mental sanity, you got to try. He's always said too, he was like, if we could have just got to the playoffs. So so it, it, the theory goes that Jordan was basically even holding something a little back at his, at his advanced age. Because he was like, we just have to get that eight seed and get me in the playoffs. And then I'm going to like, I got something left. Mm. We'll never know, of course. Oh, I see. <laughs> Interesting. He should come back now. Why not? Really See? just mix it up. Go to the bubble. Mike play. Tyson's <laughs> coming back. <laughs> hey, you hear that? Mike Tyson's coming back? I did. Uh, oh, yeah. Fighting? I, yeah, I heard the fight, yeah. And apparently he's just as good. We going to see. Mhm. Um okay, let's get to the next one. That's fine. All right. Next topic, guys. We are talking Oh, former podcast Andy Murphy is not only a former podcast, but she is now Emmy award-winning former podcast Annie Murphy. What a damn run. Um, the Emmys happened uh, recently, and Schitt's Creek historically uh, ran all major acting uh, categories for a comedy. Uh, Eugene Levy won for uh, Best Actor in a Series. Catherine O'Hara won for Best Actress in a Series. Uh, Dan Levy and Annie Murphy both won for Best Supporting Actor and Actress in a Series. Uh, it was pretty... It, I mean, it was historic, like I said. Um and honestly, like a huge, I mean, this is a big thing that we do in Canada is anytime somebody gets recognition in the States, we all sort of like, we hold it tight and we all own it like this collective national win. Um, we've been doing this for forever, whether it's Jim Carrey or Justin Bieber or Drake, it's just part of who we are. But I think the Emmys uh, this week were no different and it was really exciting. I actually didn't watch the show, so I actually didn't find out. I think I went to bed early, but I, I don't it was on Twitter when I saw the next day where I was like, holy shit, Annie Murphy like won an Emmy. That's so exciting. Because I think, I honestly, I think her and Dan were both, like people like Eugene and Catherine O'Hara are considered legends, obviously, SCTV, these long sort of like comedic careers. Everybody in comedy respects the hell of those two. It's like, I could see those two winning like almost like legacy awards for a body of work over decades. But I think the Dan Levy and the, and the Annie Murphy ones where people were like, holy shit, like, this show really, really, really resonated with Emmy voters and has become this uh, absolute um, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. What did you guys it, think? Shaney, what did you think when you saw the news? Uh, n- not much because I've never <laughs> seen the show before. But uh, <laughs> like, have, it's have no you Shannon Sossman. Yeah. Have, have you watched the show before? Like, is it is it really that great? Uh, full disclosure, I watched two episodes before I interviewed Annie Murphy. And that, that's that's because I, I did research for the interview. Um, and then I... Uh, I, I haven't seen it since. It's I want to watch it now, though. Like, it seems like it got better and better and better till it just was one of the best shows on TV. 
What about you? Uh, have either of you two watched it? Yeah, I've watched it a bit here and there. Uh, Lauren really likes it. And I remember thinking, because I've known Annie since she was like 20 years old. And because her partner, Menno, is the lead singer of Colorado. And I remember before we interviewed her, I remember thinking, oh, I'm so happy for Annie because it is impossible to be uh, a career actor. And she had been, you know, doing some commercial work and she had been trying to do some of her own small films like that she was like writing and directing herself. And then she got this gig on, on CBC, Shits Creek. And I remember thinking, oh, Shits Creek, I don't like that name actually. Like I felt it was like kind of like vulgar or something. I was like, that's eh, not for me. Yeah, that's the word shit. Uh, but but yeah. I was like, cool. <laughs> what? I just said it had the word shit in it, but continue, sir. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess that's why. Um, and you finally pinpointed after all these years. <laughs> like, that's what I found about, about, about it that was vulgar. No, kind of, uh, some yeah. smells fishy. But anyway. you know how they spell it, though, <laughs> um, right? But I was I was really happy for her. Um, but again, you know, it's like when you hear about a television production out of Canada, you kind of go, okay, this might have a, like a little shelf life for people that n- probably aren't in our demographic that are probably you know, the type to watch corner gas or like just like CBC folks often think of like people in Saskatchewan or something like I don't I don't think I know I'm stereotyping here, but I just didn't think it would, you know, be anything more than just like kind of a good, nice Canadian television show. And it's like, oh, a little career renaissance for uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. That's cool. All good. But I had no sense that it would turn into what it was. And, you know, and we've gone down to um, LA to record. I see Schitt's Creek billboards like around town. And uh, obviously Dan Levy has, um, you know, is, is a full blown like Hollywood star. And, you know, they participated in the, I think what the Barack Obama like graduation special earlier yeah. this spring, right? Um, do you want to know, do you want to know something's interesting about how that show explodes in the States? And this is the value of relationships. Do you know this whole connection, Maxie? No. Well, I know the Brad Schwartz connection. So this is the thing. Mm-hmm. So Brad Schwartz, who is also a former podcast, I think maybe episode three or four, uh, who is the head of like pop TV. He used to be the head of MTV and much uh, like a decade ago, whatever it was. And obviously they had a show called the the Hills After Show or whatever. This is when Dan Levy was just like, he was a VJ essentially. And he hosted this after show with Jesse Cruikshanks. Dan and um, Brad developed like this strong relationship because Dan's this honored talent. Brad is like sort of running these two specialty channels here in Canada, MTV and much. They both go their separate ways. Brad goes down to the States. He goes down to New York to work, I think, at MTV. He talks about it in the podcast. Eventually transitions down to California, ends up running like all of pop TV. In the meantime, Dan Levy sort of creates this show with, uh, with his dad, uh, Schitt's Creek. They get the deal at CBC. Again, like Max said, it's a Canadian show. They do, I think, season one, maybe even season two. Brad, in the meantime, gets juice at Pop TV, becomes sort of the head. Then he goes, hey, Dan, my former, you know, my friend, this guy that, you know, I had on, on, on air for MTV. This show is pretty cool. We want to acquire it for Pop. They acquire it for Pop. This turns into a Netflix deal. And then it gets disseminated amongst all, like uh, around all of America. But that doesn't happen without those guys sort of making this strong connection sort of up in Toronto and then going to do their sort of separate things. And Dan ultimately staying in Canada and building the show at the CBC and then them sort of flipping it into the States where Brad had migrated down. And then this next step to it is the Netflix part of it, right? Because yeah. obviously Pop TV is, um, it, it, was that a network show? Uh, yeah, it's States? like a, a specialty, specialty network. It's like a cable show, yeah. Yeah, cable but it's sort of really channel. fascinating to see when these shows get picked up and like how that happens. Because getting on Netflix opens you up to such a yeah. wider audience. And I think that, I can imagine, has had a lot to do with it just getting that much more well known and just being accessible to that many more people. And, and by the time it gets to Netflix, there's like five seasons. Mm, so people yeah. can literally fall in love with it and then jump in and like the sixth season, like in real time, now that they've fallen in love with these characters and these sort of very consumable, I think they're like 20, 22 minute episodes, whatever it is. I'm not sure, but people do love it. I, I mean, I have to come around to it again. Again, I've only seen mm-hmm. episode one and two before the interview because yeah, I, I, again, I think only two episodes had aired by the, when we interviewed Annie. So, so my question, though, for for you two, because I know you guys are you know television historians and, and have a really good sense of like the great TV shows over the last you know thirty years, is as Canadians, I feel like of course there's been great moments like you know Kids in the Hall or Degrassi or things that have sort of transcended our borders, but for the most part, we think of like Canadian productions as you know quaint 
Canadian productions and I don't know exactly how it stacks up to, you know, Hollywood stuff. Um, but between Letterkenny, which is getting Brad Pitt singing their praises and Edward Norton was tweeting about Letterkenny the other day and then Shit's Creek, like, has Canadian television maybe been better than we've been giving it credit? But now since shows are able to get uh, on TV screens outside of the country, they're just being recognized more by by non-Canadians. And so we go, oh, this is actually as good quality as anything else. Or do you think the, the caliber of those shows is actually a cut above and that's what's what's mm-hmm. making it famous? I think it has to be the caliber, right? Like Jared Kiso is a really special guy to but before and- there wasn't the internet to and there wasn't streaming platforms do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i wonder if there's like a sh- i'm trying to think about it. what was a show that was on tv in the late 90s or 2000s that we liked trailer on trailer park boys yeah trailer park yeah, yeah, trailer park boys actually probably got a lot of success from netflix but if trailer park boys had come in the last five years does that become a much bigger thing even though that's actually had a pretty good run but is there is there other examples that you're like oh if this had existed now would actually be doing what Shit's creek is doing no, we don't have that many great shows in Canada. But we don't. That's my point. Is do we know that? Like, I'm trying to think. Like, what would have been I like the so. CBC like quote unquote hit? Like uh, the Kim's Convenience. Say, I know that's well, all right our, now. Our big, but like, I would say like our biggest export of the last like two decades has probably been Corner Gas. You mentioned that. Like, Corner Gas is a, a very successful comedy. Um, yeah, but it's like you know, I don't know how that that show lives in the hearts of like popular culture or younger people and all that stuff Shit's creek i at this point is undeniably the most successful canadian export of all time like as far as like awards recognition and like buzz and we'll see how things go um going forward but it's not like yeah like this is like this is pretty unprecedented but i don't i can't think of any like past canadian shows that you know stood out in a way that it's like well if they only had access to netflix what about road to avonlee you don't think road to avonlee would have a shot didn't watch a lot of road to avonlee ready or not that That was a good one that that one could have had a a good life i think do south call no being erica i feel like you're reading off a list (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned degrassi Mm -hmm. like that was ginormous but was that canadian produced or just filmed in canada no that's canadian produced was that ginormous though that was pretty giant. I feel like that was like kitsch in the, the States. Like yeah, it wasn't getting Kevin nominated Smith for liked shit. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think SCTV was another really big one and respected in the States. I'm not sure if it won any awards, but. Yeah, I think like SCTV and Kids in the Hall are like obviously like our most like um, respected in the comedy world, like exports. But I don't like it's not like they're SNL. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas like now Shit's Creek is weirdly like in this category with like you know mm. the office like it's kind of insane like you yeah. know what i mean like people are going to start to talk about this 22 minute sitcom in the same conversation with like whatever you can would consider sort of these classic mm. sort of sitcoms like it's it's now sort of entered this like they just swept all of the comedy words that's never happened like name the most famous frazier has never done that like cheers has never done that friends has never done that like it's kind of insane that yeah so you're saying Little Mosque on the Prairie if it was made now. <laughs> I think oh, it was, was made um, now. Was Is Handmaid's Tale Canadian produced or just filmed here? Filmed just here. filmed here. Because mm, there's lots of like good stuff that's filmed in Toronto, like Suits. Mm, yeah, no, that's cetera. different. Um, yeah, those don't count. Riverdale. Yeah, no, none of those. Working Moms is having a pretty good run, I got to say. That's yeah. that's a great example of a show that yeah. we're I think is actually following um in some ways the shit's creek buzz it feels like it's building the same way it feels like the netflix sort of renaissance is like getting people to really come mm-hmm. to it the next step mm-hmm. will be to see if it's like it is recognized you know by the the emmys or international awards as they keep they just started shooting actually i saw on uh Catherine reitman former podcast uh instagram but yeah it feels like that show has like a ton of the buzz that i started to hear about shit's creek three years ago i was actually kind of surprised when shit's creek actually started to become Big, big, like two, maybe it was two years ago when people started talking about it and tweeting about it. Like big American people I follow on Twitter were tweeting about it. And I was like, oh, I guess this is becoming a thing. I'm seeing that happen with working moms now, actually. Do you think without the superstar parents like Ivan Reitman and Eugene Levy, these shows make it? That's a great question as well. Well, this is, we've, we've been having this conversation now for almost 20 years, Shane. Like I think that talent is undeniable like the strokes are all rich kids who got a bajillion you know it's like the pathway to getting a record deal is obviously a lot more 
uh, linear for a bunch of kids like the you know in, in, that grew up in New York and wealthy families. Mm-hmm. But the songs are still amazing. Like the talent yeah. or the how you feel the about water the music. analogy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. so like, no, do I think Dan Levy gets to make Shit's Creek without Eugene Levy as his father? Does Catherine Reitman get certain opportunities if Ivan Reitman isn't her dad, et cetera, et cetera? Probably not. But ultimately, if the work is great, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people get opportunities that don't work out. Yeah. The, the, like, um, think about all the other children of Canadian celebrities like Rick Moranis or John Candy or Jim Carrey or whoever that we've never heard of that probably at some point were like, I'd like to be an actor. I'd like to make my own TV show. Jason Priestley's had like four shows since 90210, Canadian produced otherwise that just didn't work, you know what I mean? In one way or another, you know? And it's like, people are going to get opportunities, but if it's not quality, then it, it's not going to really last. You know, there's always mitigating circumstances, but I think that I think that what like Catherine Reitman's doing and what Dan and Eugene and their team are doing and all that stuff. Like it seems like it's undeniable at this point, you know, it's like, it's, it speaks to people, you know, it's, it's popular and it's, uh, it's visceral. People really connect with it. So proofs in the pudding, regardless of their lineage or the opportunity that they were sort of afforded. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, guys, let's move on to our conversation with Craig Boa, who, as I mentioned off the top, is a hairdresser from Edmonton, Alberta, who also owns Weekly Trim True. Uh, He has been inside the NHL bubble. We're going to talk about how he got there, what it's like in there, uh, how he knows Max. Um, But yeah, let's just get right to it. Craig, thank you for joining us. Uh, this was a Max suggestion. We're excited to have you, uh, as our listeners know, because it set you up. You've been you've been in the bubble, cutting hair for uh, the NHL uh, players. I'm sure staff. I'm sure everybody in the ancillary sort of area around the players. Uh, but before we get to sort of what life is like in the bubble and cutting hair, how did this come about? And actually, before that, how did you and Max become buds? Because it seems like Max might have had like a hand in you getting into that NHL bubble. So maybe talk about how you and Max uh, became friends. Yeah, so Max, I think it's like six years ago now. Max came in, uh, came in for well, actually, well, initially you came in for a T-shirt. You kind of popped your head around the corner. Uh, you saw you saw someone at the coffee shop across the way. That's right. Yeah, and then you're like, hey, uh, I like that shirt. I think you're looking for one for your show that night. Mm, that's right. I wanted like a local spot to represent at the show in Edmonton. And this is, we're talking Edmonton, Alberta, right now. Yeah. And, and we didn't have one. And then you're like, well, how about I cut? And I'm like, okay, uh, end of the day, we can, uh, I was busy that day, but like, if you come back at three or something, I'll, I'll fit you in. And then, um, that's when we first met. And then you're, I remember you're like, how far, you know, how far is the shot from here? And t- I ended up driving you to the sound check or something that night. <laughs> did, did you give me a lift? I, I did. Yeah. You're like, should I, should I walk or should I Uber? And then I'm like, uh, like, I mean, man, I'm done. So I'll, I'll happily take you. <laughs> So, that's so like me to just be like, yeah, please give me the lift. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Not knowing I, you know, I, I have no more demerits. I don't actually have a license, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, Craig, were you like, did you know who the Arkells were? Were you like a fan? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't oh, think. Oh, cool. Yeah. Big time. Um, but to be completely honest, like, you know how it is with music or sometimes radio stuff. Like you don't always know when he walked in right away. I didn't, I didn't know. I'm like, oh, that's Max from the Arkells. But I. I mean, I think I told you, Max, too, we were at, is at Kaloha, one of those music festivals you guys played. A while That's back. right. And these girls came up to us, like me and a buddy. You guys were on stage, and I think they, they must have been out of their, off their rocker, but they thought we were the Arkells. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely, I've, I've been a fan of the Arkells for a while. So, like, I guess my question is if you weren't a fan, would you have offered him the ride still? <laughs> Uh, I'm a nice guy. So yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I like helping. I, I was at the grocery store earlier tonight and the girl ahead of me, I, I saw that she was like, she was having her card wasn't going to work and I was getting full ready to be like, okay, how much, how much is it? I'll, I'll get you. And if, you know, I'll tell you where I work. If you want to pay me back, you can, but if you don't. And that girl was Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So then uh, Arkells would just kind of make it a point to get our haircut on tour. 
and time it perfectly for when we were rolling through Edmonton. So basically everybody was like, okay, so Edmonton is the third week of the tour. Okay, everybody good till then because we'd make it an occasion to come by your shop get a haircut. We've done radio promo there instead of doing it at the radio station. We're like, can we just do it at Craig's place? Because you're <laughs> in this beautiful like century old like building. It's called the Mercer building and it's around the corner from Rogers Arena. And you've actually cut hockey players hair there in the past, right? Like who who have been customers for you? Dating back, it started with a guy named Alex Hemsky. I was a big fan of him and he, he came through. Um, and then um, like I, I can rattle them off. Like actually McDavid's been there, uh, Hall, Nugent Hopkins, um, Petrie, Luke Gazdick. I think, you know, is, is he a Hamilton? Yeah, we know Luke. Yeah. Gazdick, he's, he was awesome. That was a great dude. I actually saw him at the Arkell show. Uh, one of the times you guys came through kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, bunch of random guys for sure, but the teams change over so fast that you might have eight guys one year and one of them's, I got one right now at the moment. Uh, so so we've been keeping in touch. You came down to Banff to see the band uh, when you were in Toronto. I think we got together. And um, we were talking, Ash and I were talking to our friend Steve Mayer at the NHL, who does all of the content uh, and just sort of event-related activities. And he was in the bubble in Edmonton. He's a New York City guy, but he was living out in Edmonton with all the teams. And we were like, hey, do any, does anybody need a haircut there? Because we have just the guy for you. He's the best. And, I, and then... Steve didn't say anything. He he was like, "Okay, cool, leave it with me." And and then so what what did Steve do when he reached out? What did he say? Yeah, he um cuz you and I were talking and then you're like, "Okay, hang tight." And then I didn't really know. Like I, on one hand, I'm like, I don't think I could even go in if I had to live in the bubble. I don't know if it works. So, uh and then it was just a week later I got a call from the NHL. Like there's a someone they called the shop and left a message. Um so someone directly under Steve, I think uh essentially just said they're looking there's like a lot of demand for haircuts inside the bubble and if i don't come they're gonna have to cut it like steve's assistant's gonna have to cut everyone's hair (laughs) yeah so okay okay i think i think we can make something work here and yeah and then so so they kind of gave me the pitch what it'd be all about Uh, not having to live in the bubble was huge so so describe what was the protocol like so what does this mean like so when like how do you get tested what was your daily agenda? What did that look like? Yeah, I mean, there three times before uh, I went into the bubble, I had to get tested, and um, it's 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 nice. It's actually that was a, a nice benefit, just having like COVID tests at at will kind of thing during all this, you know. Is um, and you don't get that brain poke in there. They just they literally tickle the inside of your nostril with a Q tip when they uh, on that one. So. Uh, so anyways, three tests before I went in, and then every day I was in, I had to do a test as well. So wait a second. You're saying that they, the procedure is different? Because everybody else is just talking about the brain poke. Like, I've got the brain poke too. Totally. And, like, and then when they said, because right, it's either throat swab or, or, or like nose swab. And the first day I remember they're saying nose swab. I'm like, you know, looking for a way out. I'm like, okay, I'm good. You know, sorry, Steve. Sorry, Max. Um, but yeah, they literally just... Tickle the if if I was to say anything about it, it tickles a little bit. They just hmm. rim around your nose with a with a Q-tip, and that's so. So it was it was a breeze. It was easy. Shane, Mike, ask any questions you want. By the way, I don't want to dominate this interview. Uh, why do they want their haircut? Uh, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> good question. Like why? Why? Like it seems like it doesn't matter, to, especially if you're an NHL player. Like, um, it wasn't majority of the people I did cut some of the, like the, the known players that we'd all know. Um, but for the most part, it, there was a lot of coaches, GMs, um, the, a group called the taxi squad. They were essentially like backups kind of thing. Um, I felt bad. I felt the worst for those people actually, cause they're there, they have to practice, but they don't get a lick of game time. Mm-hmm. Is this the goalie, like the thing that happened in the regular season with Carolina? Like, is this the backups you're talking about? Uh, no, these these are actually like players that likely will make the team. They're just not mm-hmm. quite on the roster yet. They're essentially okay. like call-ups, and they're only going to go in if there's an injury. Um, so those guys would come get cuts. But, yeah, a lot of, a lot of players didn't really care so much. It, like none of the I – should, I, I shouldn't say none of the key players because there were some bigger names, I guess, but – it was the coaches and GMs, I think, really like the guys without helmets, essentially. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
What, did you have any um, nerves about sort of cutting so, sort of the bigger names? Like, I mean, I know you've done Max Kerman from Arkells, but like- It's all easy after you, that. Yeah. <laughs> was, was there anyone that you did that where you're like, ah, fuck. Like if you said McDavid came into your shop, like, do you get a little bit extra juice where you're like, if I mess this up, it's kind of more significant than another time? Or do you just have this inherent confidence in your abilities? Yeah, I, I would say I do. I'd like not to sound, you know, cocky or anything like that, but I, I've cut so many heads of hair at this point in time. Um yeah, it, it, it more so be, uh, if anything, more like, you know, when GMs and kind of these like, not scary guys, but like they're, they're intimidating. I don't know, just because of maybe their position or something like that. But mm -hmm. th I could see that being a thing, but it wasn't really because they're all such great guys in there. Like it, it was, it was interesting to see there's, there's a really good culture kind of throughout hockey. And like, you might think that there's like bad blood and, but they, they all know each other. They, they played somewhere or they did a tournament or training camp or something. They, they all know everyone. So there's a pretty good, um, like sense of camaraderie between all yeah. the guys. Yeah. What's the tipping like over there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was glad they, they, like it was, you know, it, the NHL subsidized, uh, a daily rate for me. And then, yeah. um, tell us what that number was. What, what was that number? 500 bucks a day. Nice. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, it was nice. So even if nobody came into the shop, you're making five hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. And then what was your rate? And then fifty bucks a cut. Okay. Do you think you could have charged more in retrospect? Like I, I could have charged hundred bucks a cut. Well, that's kind of how it started. I was like, you know what? Like, there's because the NHL wasn't initially going to subsidize anything. I'm like, this is it's just it's not going to work because it, it. I have to drop everything in my life. I have to, you know that go in and bring my chair and all this stuff. I don't have to charge the players a hundred bucks, but I really wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that. Um, so it, it was nice the way it worked out is 500 bucks and then 50 bucks a cut. And then tipping was encouraged, I guess, in the email that they sent out um, to all the players in like team services group, stuff like that. Biggest tip you got was? I think it's 20. There's a few 20. There's nothing like wildly outlandish or anything. Mm. Um, but honestly, like the, being that I wasn't shampooing, and stuff like some of the cuts took 20 25 minutes i think mm. so uh, i'm i'm you know i hate i hate, hate almost answering that question because i could sound ungrateful for you know it's only 20 bucks but oh well, well when you're dealing with uh multi-millionaires you could say that right <laughs> yeah it's all relative to how much they're making so here's my question though if i was making let's say five million dollars a year and i was getting a cut in a bubble I think I tip more than $20. Like, I think I'm giving you a $100 bill. Maxie, where are you at with that? Oh, when I'm in Hamilton, I think I have to tip like 400% on anything I buy <laughs> because people think I'm a millionaire. People think I'm like a $5 million man, which I'm not. So I'm always overcompensating. But I guess if you're, I guess if you are just living that life always, I feel like the certain kind of guys love to tip a lot and it just like makes them feel good. Probably mm -hmm. I'd be in that category to a degree. Um, but a lot of them probably are thinking about, uh, you know, I got another kid on the way or something like that. And I gotta, I can't be spending recklessly. How, how much do you tip Craig Max? Max, how much do you tip Craig? Oh, you're oh, asking yeah. me? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Good like question. Actually, Craig, we did a thing at, uh, weekly where we got haircuts, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we, we, we tipped you, we, we paid you a bunch of money. Oh, it was very generous. Yeah. And the card, it's down, it's pinned to my cork board downstairs in the office. Ken. How much did we pay you? Oh, it was a couple hundred bucks for sure. Nice. There you go. No big deal. And, and really <laughs> like, again, didn't, didn't like, was just super grateful that him and the guys and Ash came in and Rob loud actually. Mm -hmm. Hey, great hair. Um, yeah. And, and like, it was just a, it was a kind of event that you can't really pay for. So I really didn't want anything or would never expect anything. But yeah, Max Max took care of. And you, and you got a free concert. Like an Arkell's concert cost tens of thousands of dollars and we played some songs in there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you're making a lot of money on our visit, really. Yeah, it, totally. So, <laughs> Who was the best conversation? Um, I'd say the nicest guy. I, I kind of, I've been asked the nicest dude or best vibe like ben bishop that goalie he was with tampa and now he's with dallas he's a great dude um biggest stud would be anders lee from new york islanders the big captain football star quarterback what does mm -hmm. stud mean like hottest guy like most physically attractive like who do i want to be if i'm being 
You know, like, yeah, just big, big stud, big blonde stud. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's the name and, of this episode, by the way. Yeah. And, and then and then George McPhee, president, GM of Vegas Golden Knights, kind of biggest kind of like, I don't know, coolest, most interesting guy. Mm. Did he give you any dirt? Were you asking dirt on the bubble? Like things that would be like, ooh, I heard a rumor about this or what's so-and-so injured, anything like that? No, yeah, you know, those those thoughts come to mind, but I always try, I was in life in general, I try not to ask anyone questions that they probably get all the time, like someone in a cast, like, oh, what what happened, you know, or any, I don't know, I try not to be too much of a jock sniffer either, you know, I just want to be the cool guy that, you know, just cuts hair and likes good, good chat kind of thing. The place Mike and I go to, or well, before COVID times, was this guy named Tenzin, and he gives us a massage before a haircut. Do you give massage? And if not, what happens if you're asked to give a massage by a high-profile NHL player? Um, like in, so like the shampoo massage? No, uh, this is actually on the chair, like a shoulder massage. <laughs> Do you give those? And a scalp deal. Tenzin yeah. was wonderful. Magic hands. Like it's aromatherapy too. Like he, he put some stuff under my nose. Oh, cool. <laughs> and then you pass out for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was energized all time. Can we cut. get Tenzin in on this, uh, on this interview here too? I want to pick his brain now. Yeah, no, I, there's like, we try not to, is, is it ever awkward? Are you ever like... No, it, because it's established, though, uh, and I guess that's what I wanted to ask you. Is there any someone, since they're used to a certain way or people treating them a little bit better than most or extra service, do you, does anyone ever say, hey, could you rub my shoulders? No. And, and, no? and no. you know what I used to do when I, when I first opened Weekly, the place, because I was working for a, a, a fella for a long time, and then I'm like, okay, I'm doing my own thing. It's going to be a barber shop. And I went to the UK and I took like a straight shave course. And, um, when I came back, that was, that was one of the services we offered. And, and there's just something about like, I can cut your guys's hair much better than you guys ever could. And, and, you know, it, and I, I feel like I'm doing something for you guys that you guys can't, but when I was shaving people, uh, and this kind of falls, like if I'm just, I don't know, told to rub some guy's shoulders, like, I don't, I don't know if this sounds bad or the way to say it, but like, I don't like feeling like, uh someone's like servant almost you know like you can shave yourself i know there's like it's a thing where it's like a relaxing you know but i'm like i just i'm like covered in your in the shaving cream and there's always like blood drawn so i'm like i don't know just maybe i'm a bit of a germal but anytime i feel like a servant i'm really not into it and that was actually um a fear of mine going into the bubble i'm like are these guys gonna see me like hey hair guy me cut me you know and or are they going to be very appreciative to see me in there and, and grateful? And it was the latter for sure. That's awesome. Are you um, like going in, are you a big hockey fan in general? Like, so like, was this like a thrill because you're already a fan or was it kind of, eh, whatever, it's just hockey? Yeah. You know, again, I, I kind of felt bad that like I was into it, but there was just certain things like they're going to be, I knew they're going to be long days. Cutting hair is hard. Um, to answer your question. Yeah. I am a fan and have, always been a fan like play hockey still um but yeah i guess i but like i I haven't had much time these days to follow it kind of thing so the thing that i thought was the coolest out of all this is like i've always wanted to cut a cut a coach's hair and um in one day i had you know vegas's president vegas's gm director of hockey operations a head coach two assistant coaches like to me that was really cool those the kind of the older boys they usually have the better stories and they've had more life like they're yeah more life experiences i guess craig let's say that you made such an impression on the hierarchy of the uh, vegas uh, knights team that they said you are our guy we've never had our hair cut this well before will you come down to vegas we will pay for you to live there would you relocate and go to vegas (laughs) to be the guy for that team in the future after talking to some of the guys like the some of the players too they they like I've never seen anything other than the strip in Vegas and they all, they all love it. But I mean, I doubt I'd be able to afford to live in the neighborhood that they speak of. I think the one guy (laughs) said he's like Tony Robbins neighbor and, (laughs) and some pro golfer, Max Petretti was saying this, but yeah, you know, I mean, I love Canada. I don't think I could ever leave Canada, but that thought did cross my mind. I was hoping like maybe like Vancouver would be, that team, they're like, hey, we need. And actually, Vancouver's um, coach Travis Green, I cut him. 
he's like highly superstitious. And I, they kind of had a bit of a comeback. They pushed game seven with Vegas going, getting into it. So I was like, maybe we got something here, you know, like, <laughs> but then they got, they got eliminated. So, oh man. Okay. Last, last question, Craig, you are uh, famously known as like the best to hang You're low key, you're sneaky, handsome, you're good to everybody. But the one thing that um, you're kind of, I've never really told this to you, but kind of uptight about is the fact that we can't call you a barber. You're like, don't call trim a barber shop. It's a hair salon. Uh, tell me why uh, there. Tell us the, the difference between those two things, and why I should stop insulting you. Yeah. Okay. So again, <laughs> never to like. Uh, I think you're probably bang on. You know, there's there's some scars there. <laughs> so I, I my intro to hairdressing, I got I started working for I think one of the most talented, hardworking guys in the industry, um, and and he's like very well rounded, very. Mm-hmm. trained you know can i guess who that is sure vidal sassoon <laughs> no that guy would that's definitely the top but like oh okay you know <laughs> as far as you know that that's a great guess yeah. you know but i so this guy is like highly inspired by sassoon and i've taken many sassoon classes but um to not to ever downgrade a barber but like so when we when weekly opened it was weekly barbershop and boutique mm. and we did that for like two years you know, and sorry, where, where I was getting with this is for seven years, I worked for this like highly trained, wide skill set guy. And then, so I, I got all these broad skills. And then we opened Weekly Barbershop thinking it could be like a unisex barbershop. And as soon as you see that the title barbershop, and you guys can let me know what your opinion is, is like, oh yeah, dude, hang out, dude spot. Like, so what do you get? You know, like, and, and any female that would see it would just kind of, automatically shut it down kind of thing. So we really had to like ax it from the title because nothing wrong with barbershops, but that just wasn't really our DNA. And so for so long, the barbershop title stuck around. And that's why I I think I have to be like, no, 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 stop. It's not a barbershop. We're a, we're a salon. And, and I don't want to call barbers like the worst thing to like, the worst example would be a one trick pony. Whereas like a hairdresser kind of, you know, Cause some barbers are just clipper kings. They just run the clipper over your head and it's, it's, and also we're kind of misleading. If we say we're a barbershop, you, you're going to expect no appointment. You just walk in, which we, we do if we can accommodate, but technically usually we're booked. You expect a, a bit lower of a rate and uh, you know, and, and maybe like a shave. So we're kind of letting people down when they, mm. you know, when, when we are going to use that title barbershop and then we really, aren't anything that the barbershop is like you guys are phonies uh hair salon is more inclusive is basically what yeah and we're big on that too and and like of course we want like anyone and everyone to come through our shop and so we're just finding that wasn't really happening with the barber title that's does that answer the question Mm -hmm, i'm glad you asked it's it's been it's on your shoulders for a while now hey (laughs) shane what are you gonna say oh nothing i was just i was just gonna ask if you get the reverse problem when it's a hair salon because then you would get only women maybe yeah that, that that could for sure be a thing and 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 we were nervous about that too uh from the get-go uh, max has seen the one shop and it, it is definitely more of like a neutral to masculine uh steez and and then we've just been around now for seven years so people kind of know we actually have a much bigger female demographic which isn't the worst thing they, they you make more money off women probably right you do yeah yeah mm-hmm. nice but they, you know, there's no, there are Kells, they're all guys. And, you know, so you, you got to make sure you, you know, it's inclusive to everyone. And it's true. I, I would never want to do just guys, never want to do just girls or anything like that. Or Craig, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, it's an interesting story to say the least. And it was interesting when I read the, uh, there's a piece uh, about you that Max is quoted in. Uh, very, very complimentary. He actually called you handsome in the piece, which made me giggle. I'm like, I like oh. that. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Um, uh, I was gonna say, I know a girl that works at Global, and she sent us the thing, and she's like, "I wish, I forget where her words were, but like, I wish my husband had the crush on me that Max does on Craig or something like that." Like, yeah, just like that. And my wife uh, gives me that all the time. Like sometimes I just, you know, I'll pull up some 
you guys had all the, the, the new music and videos and stuff coming out and she walks in, she sees what I'm doing. She's like, Oh, it's the Arkells again. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, it's just, we, I really like what we have, Max. It's nice. Me, me too. Ah, well, it's <laughs> awesome when these things work out. You guys have, uh, you know, this genuine connection, uh, you know, it seems to have got you into this bubble that seems to have been amazing for you. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. It was great to talk to you. Shane and I have never met you. And maybe when we're in Edmonton, Shane and I can come by and get, get some haircuts. Uh, how much would a haircut be for like normal people? Um, yeah, you know what? So I, I actually don't take cuts anymore, but when Whoa. I did, yeah, I, we got like two salons and a coffee shop I'm trying to run and then a kid and you know, that's, there was a COVID thing for a while. So, um, I was charging 65 okay. for, uh, for my cuts, but you know, again, it's not a barber cut. It's not done in 20 minutes. I take at least an hour. If not, are you see, are you seeing these locks? Me and Shane, like this takes work, man. I see you guys got some good hair. Both. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I was looking for. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a hair compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shane, did you have anything more to say? No. Who do you think is the best hair of the three of us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Max, like Max. So, like, don't get too excited. Max, like, I've seen his hair on really good times and days, and then I think he, I think he maybe just today. gets a cut on the road sometimes, and maybe it's. <laughs> As today, right now, looking at these three, yeah, I, I would, um, I would say Shane. Oh, mm. great flow! It is a great. It flow. is, yeah. Is He's got that Rob Loud uh, vibes going on, Max. Yeah, that's what Max said the first time I met Rob Loud. Actually, yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, you guys have the same vibe. That's right. Yeah, that I, I, I'm getting it. I'm picking up on it. Ash would be the one to ask. She's, you know, she tracks Rob Loud's every move. So, <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. That's true. That is true. <laughs> We're leaving that in right. for sure. <laughs> Craig, thanks so much, man, and uh, all the best. Thanks, guys. Take care. Nice meeting you. All right. Yeah. 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 Thanks so much, man.